Hi there, this is Pastor Wilkie with Sure Foundation Lutheran Church. Before we get to our, our sermon podcast for today, I'd just like to take a second and, and ask you to, to like or subscribe or, or also give a review for, for this podcast. If this is something that you enjoy, something that, that builds you up throughout the week, those things just really help us to be seen by more people so that more people might hear the message of the gospel. The following sermon was preached on October 3rd, 2021, on the basis of Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. Grace and mercy and peace are all yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm wondering what you think of the disciples. Uh, maybe you don't think about them all, all that often. Um, they, they come up from time to time in, in, in our gospel readings on Sunday mornings. Maybe you've read it in your own, read some of the gospels in your own private reading. And so maybe you've read enough or heard enough to form your own opinion about the disciples. So what is it? In my experience, whether it was Bible class or, or, or private conversations, I found people that tend to fall on one of two sides, and then everywhere in between. The one side views the disciples as the, these holy men of God, endowed with some special holiness. After all, they were chosen by Jesus, and so there has to be something important, special, prominent about them. They elevate them almost to almost godlike status and put them on some sort of pedestal. That's the one side. The other side tends to look at the disciples as a group of screw-ups who never seem to get anything right, never seem to understand anything that Jesus was saying. And in Jesus' hour of need, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were cowards. They ran away scared. They weren't there when, when he was crucified, and they didn't even believe him when he was risen from the dead. So which one do you tend to fall towards? Do you tend towards one side or, or the other? Maybe you're a good mixture of the two. Maybe you don't really, maybe you don't really know, but... Those are good thoughts to hold in your head as we look at our, our section for today from Mark chapter 9. And we'll have to say in a very upfront way that the context is really not going to work in the disciples' favor here. In this particular section of Mark, we're, we're kind of catching up in the middle of a conversation. And the section that precedes this is the disciples, and they're, they're having a conversation actually more like an argument, um, over who is the greatest. Now, they're not talking about the greatest basketball player, Michael Jordan or LeBron. They're not talking about Jesus being the greatest. They're arguing over which one of them is the greatest. And it seems like maybe the, the argument went on for a, a little while. Maybe, maybe it even got a little heated before Jesus stepped in. 
Now, Jesus doesn't step in yelling at them, as they probably deserved. He doesn't stop this useless conversation in, in dramatic fashion. But what Jesus does is he takes a little child into his arms, who, who happens to be there around this group of people at the time, and then he says this to the disciples. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not just welcome me, but the one who sent me. <laughs> Pretty clear message that Jesus is trying to send here. While, while the disciples are arguing about who the greatest is, which, which really has no place, that argument has no place in the, the kingdom of God, Jesus is showing them what the kingdom of God is all about. That the kingdom of God is not about who is the greatest among you, but it's about a genuine concern, a genuine care for souls. And that's the context in, in which this section that we just read happens. When John comes to Jesus, and, and maybe he's changing the subject, maybe not, but, but John comes to Jesus and, and he reports to him about something that the disciples came across, and he's telling Jesus how he dealt with it. He said he came across this exorcist, this guy that, that was driving out demons in the name of, of Jesus. They saw this guy, and they stopped him from doing that. They stopped him, and the reason he gave is because he was not one of us. What he's saying is there, there was no external tie here to Jesus. He's saying this guy was not a disciple like you, like, like the disciples were a disciple, Yet even given this explanation, you, you got to stop and pause for a second here because it's a little confusing to us. That explanation doesn't really seem even satisfactory to us because driving out a demon, that seems like an inherently good thing. So, so the question would be why? Why would John prevent this man from, from driving out a demon? Well, maybe... John was very concerned about the, the purity of, of Jesus' teaching, and he didn't really know where this guy was, was coming from, and so he stopped him for, for that reason. Or maybe this, this guy was some sort of imposter that was using Jesus' name as like a, a magic formula in, in a blasphemous manner, in which case we could probably understand why he'd stop this man from, from doing that. But kind of the cool thing about inspired scripture is that nothing's out of place. Everything has its place and is placed in its proper spot on purpose. And so this section is placed purposefully right next to the who's the greatest section in scripture. And so that would lead you to think, could it be that, that John is jealous. Could it be that, that he has a little bit of envy in his heart, that he saw his position as a disciple uh, as being something that gave him prominence, importance, and so he felt threatened by this, this guy? Could it be that, that John's statement to Jesus, his report to Jesus, wasn't so much out of concern for, for Jesus 
but it was a masked statement of, of pride and arrogance. Well, if you, you happen to fall into the camp that believes that the disciples were almost godlike and, and they're on that, that pedestal, that they were endowed with some special holiness that no one else has, then this might be a hard thing for you to accept. But the truth is, the disciples were sinners. The disciples were, were power-hungry and selfish. The disciples were glory seekers and attention seekers. They had mixed up priorities, mixed up perspectives. The bottom line is, the disciples were sinners. Now, if you fall to the other side and you, you tend to think that the disciples were a bunch of screw-ups that never got it right in the first place, then this pretty, seems pretty consistent with that. They, they never seem to understand the point. But if that's your view of the disciples, I want you to examine that for a second. Because isn't looking down on the disciples and being overly critical of the disciples evidence of our own pride and arrogance? Yeah, that, that doesn't stop when you become a Christian. Christians are selfish. Christians think of themselves as, as more important than others. Christians have a superiority complex. If you don't think that arrogance and pride reside in your own heart, look again. I know it resides in mine. A Christian has a lot to repent of. We propose that, that maybe this man was an imposter, and that's why John stopped him. But, but Jesus puts that one down pretty quickly. He says, don't stop this guy. He's not working against us. He's working for us. He may not be a disciple in the same way that, that John was a disciple, but, but he was doing work for the glory of, of Jesus. His motives were not false. And so Jesus is encouraging him not to stop this guy. In fact, he commends this guy, and he says... He says, even if he would do something as small as giving you a cup of water in my name, he won't lose his reward. That is, works done out of love for Christ will not lose their reward. It doesn't matter if you happen to have the status of being one of the 12 disciples or you happen to be a 21st century Christian sitting in the pews here. Works done out of love for Christ will not lose their reward. So I already kind of hinted to it when I introduced the, the sermon, but admittedly this section is, is pretty difficult. We've already talked about inspiration of Scripture a little bit and how, how it's not an accident when two sections are put next to each other, and that's the same for this. But, but then the, the wrestling match, the, the, the hard part is, how do you weave together these two things? There has to be a connecting thought between these first four verses and then the verses that, that conclude chapter 9. And that's what makes this text a little difficult. But what seems to weave that, that first section that we've already talked about, together with the section that we're going to work into here, what seems to weave them together is the, the sin of pride. Which, as we've already laid out, is pretty evident in the first four verses, verses 38 to 41. But verses 42 to the end uh, may be a little bit more difficult. 
But I think we can summarize it in, in two ways, okay? That, that the two things that follow this are really outgrowths of pride, meaning that, that the root sin of, of these two things are, are pri- is pride, but here's some of the effects of that pride uh, in our world. So here's the two. Causing others to sin and persisting in my own sin. So, so let's talk about the first one first. Because Jesus, in very picturesque, uh, maybe even dramatic language, says this. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Now, remember the the picture here. Uh, Jesus had taken a little one into his arms before. Remember when he had talked about whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me? Uh, He he very likely maybe still has that child in in his hands. And so the picture is pretty evident for the disciples, and the comparison is an interesting comparison. If you are the cause of pulling one of these little ones away from the faith, now, he, he, he likely is talking about this little child, but he also could be talking about those who are weak in faith, too, who have little faith. If you're responsible for pulling one of these little ones away from the, the faith, then it would be better... If a large millstone, this big heavy stone, was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea, it's a comparison. That would be better. It's a pretty interesting picture. That's a pretty interesting comparison. I was listening to a podcast not too long ago that, uh, this is going to show you how, how nerdy I am sometimes, but... Um, I was listening to a podcast about uh, education, theory, and science for, for like little kids. And, and some of you probably knew this already, but this was, this was news to me and it was kind of interesting to learn that, that a lot of little children learn uh, very well by imitating other people. Um, and, and so we could see this in a lot of even little things in life. The, the other day, um, Greta was, was taking her uh, Greta's my daughter. Uh, Greta was, was taking her, her hand and taking some of the, this applesauce and was moving it up to her, her mouth. And it just kind of struck me after listening to that that she learned that. We didn't, we didn't teach her to do that. She learned that from watching us put things up to our mouth. Then eventually it'll be a spoon or a fork bringing that up to the mouth. She just picked up on that from watching us. Kids do the same thing as they get a little older, too. As they're learning the alphabet from their, their teachers, they learn how to form those words by, by hearing them. They learn how to, how to form new words, and they learn new words from the, the things that their, their parents teach them or their teachers teach them. They, they catch a lot. They learn a lot just by observing with their eyes or, or hearing with their ears. And, and so take that and couple it with the warning that Jesus is giving about pulling little ones away from the faith, and, and you got serious business here. It means that your, your words and your actions, whether you have kids or not, have, may have an eternal impact on that kid's life. The things you say and do may spiritually affect somebody else. 
It could be a little kid. It doesn't have to be a little kid. It could be somebody who's weak in their faith. It could be another Christian around you. How many people have, have left the church because of the sin that they've seen inside of the church or the sin that they see going on in their own home? How many kids, when, when they go off to college, never make a habit of, of going to church because they, they've seen in their household that church, the word, time with Jesus is a much lower priority? Jesus says the millstone would be better than that. The second very, just as picturesque thing that Jesus lays out um, is he's going to talk about if your, if your hand or your foot or your eye causes you to sin. And he's going to say that it would be better for you to enter eternal life maimed, crippled, and blind than to keep the thing around that is causing you to sin. That if your hand or your foot or your eye is causing you to sin, then it would be better for you not to have that if it's going to keep causing you to sin. And so what Jesus is saying here is not just try harder. He's saying, get rid of sin in your life for good. Whatever it is that's causing you to sin, chop it off, get rid of it. If it's going to stop you from sinning, by all means, cast it out, be done with it. These are both outgrowths of, of pride, causing other people to sin and persisting in my own sin. And Jesus lays these out in such an obvious way for us, and the reason he lays it out becomes very clear. He really cares for you. He, he really cares for your soul. He doesn't want you to continue to walk a path that's going to lead in, into eternal destruction. And he doesn't want you to take somebody else there either. He wants your soul and other people's souls to be safe. To be safe with him forever. And so, for Jesus, these aren't just words. They, they sound pretty heavy, and this is pretty heavy stuff to, to talk about here, but, but Jesus really does care for your soul. And his care for your soul moved him to action. That he left the bliss of heaven to enter this sin-ridden world to do battle with the devil, to do battle against sin. And he did that every day of his life here. He had the same weakness as you and I, but he went to battle every day against sin and never gave in, which ended in his death on the, the cross where he showed you and I just how far he was willing to go to take care of your soul, to, to save your soul. We can read through this whole section of Mark and see just how much we have failed. We can see very clearly our own pride, the effect that it has had on our life, and the, the effect that it maybe has on other people's lives. But when all of that is stripped away, when all of our pride is stripped away, then we have nothing left than to just see our Savior, <laughs> to see very clearly our Savior, and to rely on the victory that he has won. And he did. He won the victory on the cross, and by rising from the dead and that resurrection, 
is what gives our lives comfort and hope, even when we hear difficult things like this. I, I told you at the beginning and in the middle, and I'm going to tell you at the end, <laughs> this was a tough section. It was tough for me to try to formulate what, how to say this, how to, how to teach this. But I think one thing rings true. Even though there's a lot of convicting law, even there, though there's a lot of things that, that are really harsh and, and serious for me, that, that when I read a section like this as a Christian, I can give thanks. I can give thanks to God because he has removed any delusions that I could be my own Savior. And he has shown me that, that he is the Savior that, that I need and the only one that I can look to for salvation. And so I rely on him all the more intently. With eyes fixed on Jesus, we can trust that he truly has a genuine care for our souls. Let that be our comfort. Amen.